0: real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H- s t j o h n dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is an award-nominated New York Times and U.S. Today bestselling author. In addition, she is a podcaster and an award-winning creative entrepreneur. Her site, thecreativepenn.com, has been voted in the top 100 sites for writers by Writer's Digest. Welcome to the show, Joanna Penn. Oh, thanks for having me, Sarah. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you because I listen to your podcast and your blog, and I have all of your books on self-publishing. I love your books on self-publishing so much that there are times where I'm tempted to actually read your fiction stuff. I'm not a big fiction reader, but your thrillers under J.F. Penn, the covers are like with their their titles look intriguing. So I might <laughs> I might branch out at some point.
1: <laughs> oh, great! Well, my evil marketing plan is clear. Working.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you kind of go over your history and how you got started in self publishing for those who aren't familiar with you? Yeah, sure. So uh,
1: I'm sure, like many listeners, I, I come from a corporate background. I used to implement accounts payable systems into companies. So I worked for mining companies and you know, sort of electric companies. And so you know, my job was not exactly creative, but it was pretty well paid. So you know, you get to that point in your life, and you have your house and your mortgage, and you maybe have some investments, and you're like, wow, is this all there is? <laughs> and so I got to this point, and I was I was just miserable in my job. I was like, what is the point? All I'm doing is earning money to pay the bills and I'm just, uh, what am I doing with my life? So I started looking for other things that I could do. And I mean, obviously your audience are interested in building a business. I actually started a scuba diving business, which I would not say comes under the frugalpreneur <laughs> idea. It's an extremely expensive business. It didn't work out. I tried property investment. I know a lot of Americans are also interested in doing up property and renting out property but I just wasn't interested in it. You know, you have to be interested in the business you're going to do. So I thought, well, I know I'll write a book on career change and figure out what I'm going to do while I'm writing this book. Cause I've always been a big reader and self-help reader, listen to a lot of American self-help people. So I started writing this book, Career Change. And in the process of writing it, this was way back in sort of 2006, 2007, I discovered that actually I really liked writing books. And that was before the Kindle. It was before eBooks really took off. So I went through the process of publishing back then. And then what happened is the whole ebook sort of revolution happened. And I was living in Australia at the time, sort of discovered how to publish on the Kindle. And uh, 2008, I started my blog. 2009, I started my podcast. So I've been podcasting like a decade now. And then, you know, I, I just got into writing. 2011, I started writing fiction. And 20, uh, 2011, I also left my job. So I was able to leave my job and become a full-time writer. So, and just to be clear, not just with one or two books, it was also a speaker. I had a website and we can come back to some of these multiple streams of income. And then, uh, 2015 was when I finally surpassed my income at my old job. And now I guess, you know, we're in 2020, I I've been running my own business, I guess for almost a decade. And it's a pretty secure multi-six figure business based on books. So I've got about 32 books right now, uh, couple of podcasts I still do speaking but I have affiliate income and products and courses and and the whole shebang but just you know just to be clear with people I started writing in 2006 so it has not been a, an overnight success but I after a lot of tries I found the direction I wanted to go in
0: Wow, yeah, 32 books. That's a lot. I only have two currently. I'm working on a third one. And I think 10 of your books, or maybe a little bit more than that, are on the topic of self-publishing. And then, of course, you have the thrillers, and then you have the sweet romance under... Penny Appleton, which that that's so cute that you write those with your mom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say my mum writes them. I help oh. her. I am definitely a thriller writer and you know, I write dark books, but my mum, bless her, when she hit sort of 68, wanted to do something with her life and started writing. And I said, Well, I'll help you, Mum, because you know, you've got to help your mum out. But no, I definitely don't write sweet romance. My mom okay. does. I just help her publish. But the the books for authors, they're not just for self-published authors. You know, the reality is that however you publish these days. So if you want to work with a publisher, you still have to know things like how to do book marketing. Publishers don't do all of that for you. They might help with some of it, but you still have to do the marketing. You still have to wrestle with things like the author mindset. So I definitely think my books for authors are however you choose to publish. There is one specific, as you know, a successful self-publishing, which is on (laughs) self-publishing.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the books could be applied to both self-publishing or traditional. And have you ever thought about going traditional or do you think you're going to stick with the self-publishing route?
1: Well, and again, just to be clear, the word self-publishing, I find a bit of a misnomer. I run my own independent publishing House. So, you know, I have freelancers, freelance editors, cover designers. I work with, you know, I work with some book marketing people and I run a, a business. And so, in that way, it's quite different to someone who might just, you know, do a book for their kids or something like that, or, you know, put their diaries into a book form. So, I think there is a, a specific spectrum of self publishing. You can do it as a business, as I do, or you can just do it for the creative fun of it, which is absolutely valid as well. But I always is intended to make it a business. So as for whether I would go with a publisher, I have done foreign rights deals. So I've had German deals, South Korean, some other places, France. I've got some other things in the works. And absolutely, I've also done audiobook deals. So I'm very interested in working with entrepreneurial publishers around things. It's just been that in terms of the financials and also the marketing possibilities, doing it myself and has always been the best in terms of control and revenue, because when you are an independent author, you can make sort of 70 to even 90% royalty. Whereas if you are working with a publisher, you might make 10% royalty, maybe 20% royalty. So for me, it's been a sort of a way to do this while still make a living. But equally, I'm very open to working with, as I said, entrepreneurial type of publishers and agents and foreign rights deals so it's not an either or world anymore it really is about each project each country each language each format even so many independent authors will license audio for example most people will license foreign rights because it is the most effective way to do it so yeah it's not really an either or anymore it's definitely um, you can it's an and uh, sort of way.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't heard of it kind of explained in that way. So I appreciate that. And as far as like foreign rights, can you go a little bit into that? Is that, I guess, in order to get your book translated into other languages, is that what you mean? Is that the same thing as you have to have foreign rights to do that? Or how does that work?
1: Right. Okay. So I think a lot of Americans, you know, obviously America is a very big book market. So many, I get questions from a lot of Americans, which is how do I publish my book abroad? And what they mean is outside of America and which is of course, foreign in inverted commas. But the reality is that a book in English, which, you know, most Americans will be writing in, in English, maybe Spanish, other languages, but English primarily, you can publish a book in English and and self-publish it on in 190 countries. So I've actually sold books in English in 142 countries at this point. So you could say that is foreign in terms of the territories. And the reason people talk about this is when you do a deal with a publisher, you might sign a deal for North American rights, which would be US Canada, for example, or UK Commonwealth, which doesn't include North America. So that's the way traditional publishing has always done it. They've done these territorial memorial Right. So, if people listening, if you have been traditionally published, have a look at your contract, and it will have different territories on it. Might say world English, <laughs> but hopefully it won't. So, let's assume you're going to publish in English as an independent author. You can upload onto platforms like Amazon KDP for the Kindle and print books through Amazon, Kobo, Apple Books. These are international platforms. Ingram Spark, Findaway Voices for audio. All of these are international platforms where your English book will reach foreign market. But then when it comes to translations, that's where licensing can be really good. So for example, I work with a French publisher for my non-fiction books and they have licensed my non-fiction books for French language worldwide French basically. So they can publish in French all over the world. So people in Canada, for example, who speak French might also want to read those books, or people in Switzerland or Belgium or anywhere in the world, if they want to buy a French book, that will be the publisher. So I've signed a contract there for the foreign rights of French language, but in all territories. So you can see how these rights can be sliced and diced, (laughs) depending on what it is. So for example, I could have just licensed French language for just France, and that is language and territory. So I want people to start thinking, when you write a book, it's not just one book in America, you know, in an ebook format, it actually can be all these different things in all these different countries and all these different formats. And that's why as a businesswoman, I love writing books. It really is truly multiple streams of income and the revenue just kind of comes in from all these places every month and all these territories. And it's fascinating how people find the books all over the world.
0: So, with the translation service, how would you go about doing that? Right.
1: So, when I'm talking about licensing, you're not doing the translation. That is, you license the rights, you give them the English manuscript and they do the translation, they do the publishing, they do the marketing. So that is a true licensing deal. If you want to do translation, then you're going to have to work with translators and translation editors, and then you're going to have to manage the marketing as well. So this can be quite complicated. And I would suggest that this is only done if you, A, maybe you're bilingual. So maybe people listening, if you're, you know, maybe you're Spanish speaking, a lot of people in America speak Spanish as well. That is one way. I mean, you can maybe even translate yourself and then work with an editor to make sure your language is good. Or if you get it translated, you can actually check it yourself because this is the big deal, right? If you get something translated into another language and you can't read it, it's very weird. You don't know the quality until you publish it and then people slam it because it's so bad. (laughs) But if you want to do translation, then it really is a case of, do you have a market that exists already? So what I found, I do have some independently published nonfiction books in German. Because I saw that my English books were selling in Germany. And I thought, well, if they're selling in English in Germany, they're probably going to sell in German in Germany, Austria. Etc. So I did actually work with a AI translation service called DeepL, d e e p l dot com, which is very good, particularly for German and particularly for nonfiction, which is less of an art than fiction in terms of language. And then I worked with an editor in German, and then I also worked with ten proofreaders, so ten readers from my audience who went through and picked up things as well. So it wasn't just a case of give it to an AI and publish it. Uh, I definitely wouldn't recommend that. But I worked with editors and beta readers, and those are now live on Amazon. So if people are interested, you can actually find translators at a service called Readsie. And I do have a link, thecreativepen.com forward slash Readsie, R-E-E-D-S-Y. And they have translators there who are vetted. And this is a really big deal too. There are so many freelancers out there and you really want to work with people who have a proven track record. So hopefully that will help anyone considering it.
0: Yeah, I love Readsie. The tool that I mainly use is where it formats your book and then You can get it in PDF form or Mobi. I interviewed the the guy over there, Ricardo. I think is
1: yeah, Ricardo. Yeah, uh he's great. Yeah, they have book cover designers and editors. And yeah, I mean, this is the reality of the situation as an independent author now. It's a it's a mature market. You know, when I started ten years ago, it was very hard to find people to work with. But now, a lot of the people we work with have been laid off by traditional publishing, or still work with traditional publishing as freelancers. So we're getting top quality editors, cover designers, translators, you know, these are the best people that we can work with now. You do need a budget. Obviously, I realize you're the frugalpreneur, (laughs) but if you want a quality product in book format, you are going to have to invest in things like editing and cover design.
0: Yeah, and you had mentioned AI. I'm curious to know more about that. I think that's one of your interests or focus right now. What do you see as the future of AI when it comes to publishing or even podcasting or anything? There's a new one, or at least it's new to me, called Descript, which... I don't know if you've heard of it, but usually after I do a podcast episode, I'll upload it to that. And then you can automatically take out ums and uhs and stuff like that. And it turns your audio into a transcript. And you can even edit the audio by editing the transcript. It's very interesting. And there's a bunch of AI companies out there for transcription. But can you go a little bit into that? Yeah, sure. And I've
1: been using Descript for uh, about a year now as well. And they've actually done a voice double for me. So you can actually turn your voice into an AI voice, uh, which is quite cool. That's at the creativepen.com forward slash voice double, if people want to hear my AI voice, <laughs> um, which is quite cool. But yeah, I used to script. They're fantastic. And But w- what we have to think with AI, so artificial intelligence, if people don't know, is that there is sort of two big areas for creators. So one is obviously the creation of the work, and the other one is discoverability in marketing. So first of all, with AI creation for things like words, there are services now like GPT-2 and You can go to Talk to Transformer, where you'll see this text generation in process. And you'll see it's not exactly exciting right now, but there are companies who are really working on this kind of thing. So there's a lot of discussion in the author community around copyright for AI created works. And for example, if you train an algorithm on the works of Stephen King, should Stephen King get some? benefit from that or should Stephen King's publisher get that or you know if if you if you Sarah decide you want to write a book and you like my books and you have bought copies of my books you know if you read all of that into an ai and then it spits out words in a different order do i get any money from that so this is a huge discussion right now around copyright and AI and whether, I mean, it's already being used in journalism. There's a lot of um, nonfiction journalism that is already using AI generating text. And will this move into sort of book writing? And you've got to assume that it will in the next, let's say, at least five to 10 years. I mean, I'm mid 40s. I fully expect this to be happening within the next five to 10 years. So what does that mean for us as creators? Well, what it means is it's not going to stop us creating. (laughs) What it means is hopefully there will be more tools. So you said Descript there, which is useful things, formatting tools like Vellum, or like you mentioned, Readsy's formatting tool. We all use tools. You and I are speaking uh, using our computers across a free internet platform across the world. I mean, this is a tool we're using in our business. So I think there's a lot of interesting tools coming with AI. As I mentioned, the translation engine, that's really interesting. But then the question becomes well, maybe it can help us with things like discovery. So Amazon advertising, for example, now you can advertise your book using Amazon ads and you can just do them entirely auto-generated. So even a year ago, you had to sort of manually pick the things you want to target. And you still can manually pick things, but actually their algorithm does a pretty good job (laughs) of recommending things automatically. So I don't want people to get freaked out by by the idea of AI and authors and writing and what we do online. It's really to think about, okay, so what tools do I already use in my creative life and how could they potentially be augmented by AI? And then also what are the benefits I could get from AI Tools in discoverability like marketing or translation. So, I'm very positive about the future of using AI as a tool. And one thing I would say to people is it's very important that we continue to build personal brands that people are interested in following. And I think it's going to be a bit like, you know, people like shopping at local stores because they w- want to support the people. And it will be a bit like that. It will be, yeah, sure, you can buy a thriller generated by an AI. It's probably very good. But this one's written by JF Penn, and she's a human. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, maybe they'll check out my book because I'm a human <laughs> in the future. And because they're interested um, in how my brain works, as opposed to how an algorithm works. So yeah, positive times and exciting times for sure.
0: And what is your opinion on creating an audiobook with AI? Like you have the book in an ebook or a print version, and then you use an AI service to create audio out of it and then sell the audio book. What is your opinion on that? Because I think that's becoming more popular, but I
1: I mean, at the moment, it's not allowed by most of the services because well, Audible, for example, are protecting their own stable of creators. (laughs) They don't actually allow books narrated by an AI, but other services do. And certainly as podcasts, you can listen to a lot of podcasts now that are audio books narrated by AI. This is why I... I got a voice double because I want to play with the idea of I don't you know it's a lot of work to record an audio book if I can just get a voice done for my voice and use that to create audio that would be fantastic uh, so yes this is coming this is already happening a company called deepzen.io this year at London Book Fair in March 2020 actually announced with a press release if I didn't go ahead <laughs> because of the pandemic but the announcement was still made that they have their first audiobooks by AI in store like Apple audiobooks and Findaway Voices and, and stuff like that. So I see this as definitely coming. But what I see is that it will be very similar to the way we buy books. So I, le- I read a lot of ebooks, but I also buy beautiful hardback editions with extra special covers and photos, etc. I also buy digital audiobooks. And so the question is, Will there be multiple versions of audiobooks? So, for example, I could pay, let's say I pay, you know, one audio credit or 20 bucks for a full length audiobook that is narrated by a human. And then maybe I can get four audiobooks for that same credit price narrated by AI. Now, they are not as full of emotion, for example, but I'm still happy with the deal. So it's almost like they are less valued in a way, but many people just want the information. I also think this will expand the possibilities. So for example, I listen to a lot of nonfiction in the business niche, and it's mostly narrated by American men. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't want to listen to another American man read another business book. I would really like to listen to, let's say, a British woman read this instead. And what I think is we're going to be in a position in the same way you can change the GPS or you can change the voice of Siri or Alexa, you'll be able to change the voice that narrates your audiobook as a customer. And I think that will result in more sales. Of audiobooks because customers will have preferred voices and they will be like, Yeah, I want that, but I want it with this voice. So AI is going to enable that type of flexibility. So, again, yes, there will be changes in this industry, but I believe it will drive more sales as opposed to diminishing what there is.
0: That's interesting that you mentioned about how the possibility of changing voices like gender or whether it's an American voice, British voice, whatever. That would be really interesting. So you had mentioned Descript and how you can create a like a voice double, basically. And I had signed up for that or put in my information as, as I'm interested, but I haven't heard anything back. I guess it's kind of in beta right now or something where they're only taking... Yeah, sure. it's
1: in it's in beta and yeah I mean I've been quite vocal about AI and voice mm-hmm. and uh, for a while so I mean obviously they're they they can not work with everyone at the moment but they're so you see I mean even today as we're recording this they sent out another email with more opportunities uh, with descript so I would say that what you have to remember with audiobooks is I feel like it's sort of 2011 <laughs> the way ebooks were in 2011 is the way the audiobooks are now so what I would say is there's going to be a huge exp- Explosion of opportunity in audio over the next couple of years. And we're really only in the early days. So definitely watch this space. And I think we all want to move forward more quickly because we're used to doing that in so many other areas. But realistically, I mean, podcasting only went super big mainstream in 2019. And in fact, again, as we speak this week, Joe Rogan, one of the biggest podcasters in the world, just signed a $100 million deal with Spotify. And to me, that signals another shift. In the way podcasting is going. And Spotify, of course, in talking about AI, is incredibly driven by algorithms and discoverability algorithms. So I think this area is going to explode. So here's a little tip listening if you are a podcaster, if you're thinking of podcasting, I definitely get your podcast on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't get 100 million for it. That's, that's the trouble. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I heard about that. And it's interesting because it splits people down the side. It's like a lot of podcasters are upset about it because
1: it's exclusivity. And this community has been built on openness. You know, again, I've had a podcast since 2009. There was nothing like this back then. It was everything was open. You put stuff out there. And I agree. I have been very against exclusivity. Amazon's done the same. Audible's done the same with publishing. You publish exclusively with us if you choose this option and you get all of these benefits but what's interesting with this deal i think is i mean i'm sure you or i would not turn down (laughs) even a fraction of that money i mean i've been i've been openly podcasting for over a decade but i would be taking the money you know if i was joe as well and i think it's a very interesting time where these are the types of figures that are normally paid to tv shows and they're being paid to a podcaster. So I really see this as a the direction that audio is going in is extremely exciting and we should all be excited about audio.
0: Right. Yeah. And I just started podcasting last year, but even in the year or so that I've been doing it, it, it you're right. It does seem like it's exploding. It's like podcasting has existed for over a decade, maybe even close to 15 years, but it's just now really exploding. It almost seems like businesses are going to need to start having... It's almost like a you know what websites were it's yes. like now you have to have a podcast, you know.
1: Exactly. And it's because I think if you're not on some kind of audio, so, you, you know, people listening, you don't have to have your own show. But if you want to do marketing in this sort of day and age, you need to get yourself on other podcasts. You need to be a guest on niche podcasts if you want to market your business. So, for example, I started blogging back in 2008 and I don't blog anymore. I podcast every week and I create a You know, my show notes are a very extensive blog posts but my content is primarily audio first and in fact even when people say can you can you do an interview for my blog I say no I do podcast interviews so when you emailed I was like yeah great because this is my marketing but if you had said oh can I interview you by text I'll send you some questions I would have said no because I think this is the most effective use of time now in terms of marketing is audio first and I know some people might be freaked out by that (laughs) it's it is but it's You just need practice, really. And just be yourself and you'll be okay. You know, this is just human, right? We're being human.
0: And do you think that audio has taken off so much lately because of just multitasking people, commuting to work, mowing the yard, doing the dishes, laundry, whatever, and using it as something to basically entertain or educate themselves with while they do that? Whereas, you know, when you're reading a book and Actually, I prefer to read physical books versus ebooks or audiobooks, but anyway, but you know, or watching a YouTube or whatever. It's like the fact that you can listen to an audiobook or a podcast while you're getting other stuff done that you need to get done.
1: Yeah. And that's definitely one thing. And I mean, the commuting time, I mean, again, coming back to Spotify, they have this thing called drive time. Obviously, again, we're in the pandemic, people aren't commuting, but they'll be back to it soon. And, you know, you can say, oh, I have a 30 minute drive time and they'll serve you a whole load of music and podcast snippets to fit into your drive time which is just incredible and th- uh, that was certainly released in Germany I'm not sure if it's in the US yet but stuff like that but also I'd say for example you said that you don't listen you don't read fiction well what's really interesting with audiobooks is you can listen to a story as part of relaxation so I'm actually listening to The Stand at the moment by Stephen King which is like 40 hours and it's it's a, I've read it a number of times in other editions but this is you know a sort of incredibly long story but also uh, i also recommend World War Z or World War Z as you say in America by Max Brooks on audio again it's a zombie book but it is so much more than that and if you listen to a story it's it's like an ancient thing we've always listened to stories by the campfire or you know our mum or dad told us stories when we were little kids so listening to audio fiction and there's also audio dramas now so it's a bit like just being in the story so I actually think there there are a lot more people trying fiction because of audio than make time for it right now. So you'd be a good example. So I'm going to challenge you to maybe try listening to (laughs) those. And, you know, you can just give things a try, give things a sample, but people also listening more because they want less screen time. And I think this is even more true when we've all had to spend days and days on Zoom calls is that people actually need to relax their eyes and watching TV, watching YouTube, you know, gaming, all of these things take their toll on your eyes. And so listening can be a very good relaxing way. So my husband listens in bed every night to fantasy novels and he loves, you know, Tolkien and epic fantasy. And I, while well, I read my Kindle uh, and I listen to audio books when I'm doing things like cooking or chores or exercise and stuff. So people listen in different ways, but there really are now audio things for people to listen to whatever they want, whether it's nonfiction or,
0: or fiction. Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I haven't listened to an audiobook yet. But I think maybe I'll start with, do you have, are your fiction books in audio format? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, well, maybe that's where I'll start then, since I'm kind of interested in those. Because if I'm going to read fiction, it would probably be that kind of stuff, like thriller stuff, because I love horror and suspense and thriller shows and movies so um. Ah,
1: fantastic well yes check out JF Pen on uh, whichever your app is but of course there are lots there and and you can get lots for free as well so yeah definitely check some of those out but i think it's about podcast listeners are something like 50 percent more likely or maybe more than that very likely to move into audio so for example if i listen to an interview with someone on a podcast i am far more likely to go and check out whether they have an audiobook on the same topic. So, for example, we mentioned the successful author mindset earlier. That is a, available as an audiobook, or successful self publishing is available as an audiobook. So, it, it, it's a natural move for people to go from podcast to audiobook to go deeper into a topic. Um, So I urge people, if you're a creator, obviously, if you're building a business and you write a book, I would definitely urge you to create audiobook versions. So Sarah, have you created audiobook versions of your existing books?
0: So that was actually my next and probably final question or topic is about that. I've thought about doing audiobooks and I kind of started, but then, and my books are small. They're like 10,000 words. So, So they're quick reads, like an hour at most, but I only got through like a chapter or two and I was like, oh, just recording that longer reading. And then, so then I started thinking about hiring someone to do it or, but then I was like, oh, if I can do that voice double thing or.
1: (laughs) Okay. I'm just going to say, hold up. I mean, you really work hard. You're a hard worker. It will take you to do your, your finished audio book for 10,000 words will probably be about an hour and a half. So it, yeah, it's going to take you, let's say a day to knuckle down and do the work (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I gotta tell you it is hard work so and I remember when I first narrated my first audiobook and I just couldn't believe it I was like why is this so hard It, it it was it's exhausting you feel kind of crap but what you have is a finished product that has your voice brand and your voice brand you've got a podcast so it makes sense for you to narrate it it's also not very long and you I tell you you'll also find things as you read it aloud you'll be like oh I need to rewrite that I need to rewrite that it's not good enough and so it's actually a really good editing process and if you do it yourself you can make the changes and then you can change the ebook version and the print version as well to fit the audio <laughs> because it's like another. QA process. So yeah, I mean, obviously, I've got my book audio for authors, which goes into all of this in mm-hmm. detail. But it is hard. It's a different skill doing audiobook narration. But as a non-fiction author, it's definitely worth it. I've done both. Obviously, I've hired professionals, and I've narrated my own. And I've also narrated some of my fiction. I think it's important people want to connect with the author. And if they hear your voice, especially as a podcaster, then they're more likely to connect to you personally. And that's what we want.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, that kind of answers my question because I was trying... I mean, there's three angles you can go at it. You can narrate it, you can hire someone to narrate it, or you can try this AI voice double thing. But that kind of answers my question about whether or not, especially like you said, since I have a podcast and then since the books are so short anyway... Like and, I- and also
1: you can't, if you get it done by an AI, you can't put it on Audible, which in the US is a very big platform. And so you're not even kind of, it's like saying, oh, I've got a book, but it's not on Amazon. That's not mm-hmm. good enough, you know, to, to be professional, you need to have it on these uh, major platforms. So it does need to be a human. So at the moment, there really are only two choices, which is you or hire someone. Yeah. And I would just su- suggest, yes. It does feel difficult, but you will be able to do it. You just have to set
0: aside a a bit of time. Yeah. And I have your book. Well, I have all of your self, uh, I guess not self-publishing books, publishing books, (laughs) Uh, uh, including the audiobook one but I probably need to go through and read it again now that we've had this conversation and I've gotten some clarity there and I appreciate that so audiobooks there's I know you can go through ACX which isn't usually recommended right because they don't they like
1: well you can so acx.com is amazon's service for audible and you can choose to be exclusive or you can choose to be non-exclusive and you can also use findawayvoices.com which will get you into things like library systems which i think is really important especially in these days of economic trouble <laughs> a lot of people are listening to audio through their library apps so what i do is i publish on acx.com and choose the non-exclusive option and then i also publish on findawayvoices, voices and that gets my book my audiobooks pretty much everywhere although if you're new to this you may just choose to do acx with the exclusive deal because it's kind of easier to do marketing and stuff but i i tend to think long term about my projects and uh, hence I, I tend to go wide but it's the biggest thing is kind of creating the files in a format that's acceptable so definitely have a read of all the technical specifications but personally i record and then i work with a professional sound engineer to get my files into the right format but that's all a bit technical for this conversation <laughs> so well i'll leave you with the book
0: right yeah so if anyone wants to learn more they can get that book and i will have links actually to the various tools that we've talked about in various books at the SarahStjohn.com forward slash Joanna is where that will be. And then if people want to find you directly, they can just go to the create a pen that's two ends. Dot com. Was there anything else you wanted to go over or touch on that I hadn't asked about?
1: Well, if you like podcasting, listeners, come on over to The Creative Pen podcast, where I talk about books and writing and publishing and book marketing. And also, I have books and travel podcast where I, I talk about travel. So uh, yeah, podcasting is addictive. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have any questions, I'm on Twitter at The Creative Pen.
0: All right. Well, I really appreciate your time today. And thanks for helping the listeners determine what to do, whether to do an audio or just the different benefits of audio and podcasting.
1: (laughs) Oh, good. Well, thanks so much for having me, Sarah. That was great.
0: If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.